from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is U.S. Farm Report. I'm Tyne Morgan, and we're thankful that you made time to join us this Thanksgiving weekend as we have quite the special show lined up for you over the next 60 minutes. A community that cares orchestrated the ultimate harvest of thanks for a fellow farmer who died unexpectedly this fall. Gratitude in the markets. You know, we're blessed with uh, very high prices. We have some of the highest price levels here in corn and beans. And what to watch heading into the holidays this year. A tractor treasure that finally made it back home. The idea that I might have let that tractor get away, you know, it only, it only really took a few years to, for it to sink in what I might have done there. It's a special Tractor Tales this weekend. And in John's world. A graph that should trigger gratitude. Well, welcome to U.S. Farm Report this post-Thanksgiving Day weekend. We're thankful to have Chip Nellinger as well as Mike North joining us. We're doing both markets in the first half hour. Since the second half hour, we have our annual Harvest of Thanks special. All right, Chip, I want to start with you. This year, as you reflect back on the markets, a lot to be thankful for. But what are you most thankful for when it comes to the market action so far this year? Yeah, well, I, I think uh, a couple things come to mind. First and foremost, uh, you know, we're blessed with uh, very high prices. We have some of the highest price levels here in corn and beans. We've had opportunities in wheat at uh, tremendous price levels. I think the other thing here is across the Corn Belt, um, due to the logistics situation, when needing corn in the uh, in the plains in the Western Corn Belt and having those corn supplies in the Eastern Corn Belt, producers are blessed with very historically strong basis levels. So price and basis, and uh, you know, I guess the third thing would be here, particularly in the Eastern Corn Belt, is yield. We had some tremendous yields here in the Eastern Corn Belt. I think producers, uh, you know, uh, east of the uh, of the Mississippi River are uh, really blessed with all three price yield and strong basis so i think that's uh first and foremost uh, at the top of the list there time yeah and mike chip chip alluded to it but it was a you know a dire drought situation and we know a lot of producers just had a very frustrating production year in that western corn belt and farther west you talk to a lot of those producers so there were struggles but when you look at it as a whole what do you think we have the you know what what are you the most thankful for when it comes to the markets mike I think we're seeing health on a lot of different sectors. You know, despite all the volatility, uh, we've had a very strong uh, dairy and livestock market this year that has, you know, helped maintain a good health balance across uh, the buy sell side of the of the transaction. And as as we look at uh, markets today, we're, we're we're seeing a little bit of an uptick in ethanol margins back towards some of the better levels we've seen all year. Um, you know, there's there's just a lot of good things that are happening, uh, both on the supply and demand side. And when you can put those two things together, you have a really healthy market um, that that we're uh, uh, creating a balance where everyone can have some wins. Yeah, Chip, and as you look now, post Thanksgiving, heading into that holiday trade, you know, is is the U.S production side is that is that the old story or is that still what could possibly move the markets as we head into these holidays well i, I think it's starting to be a little bit of an old story the usda has you know bumped these yields up that to me says that they're pretty close we're going to have a final update on those yields in january i think more importantly though the southern hemisphere is going to be the big story as we get uh, past the holidays here uh, brazil's off to a really good start argentina is still very dry to me, the Southern Hemisphere is going to dictate whether we have 
you know, a run into maybe new highs sometime later this winter or spring, or if we're going to start into a renewed downtrend here because world supplies are growing. So uh, to me, I think the, uh, the hot button here, the key story is going to be Southern Hemisphere production. On the livestock side, Mike, typically heading into the holidays, big time for dairy, big time for butter, big time for cheese, I mean, big time for fluid milk. So what are you watching as far as holiday trade goes and if this demand can, can keep pace this year? Consumer activity is at the top of the radar right now and how we come through Q4 with uh, retail sales, food service activity, how the consumer engages the dairy complex is going to be top of mind as we look at 2022 uh, Q4 into the Q1 2023 uh, timeframe. Um, you know, obviously cheese and butter, you called them out, are the two big ones this time of the year and those will lead the discussion. So how they engage, what kind of sales we see, that, that'll be huge as it relates back to inventories and what needs to happen as we go into uh, Q1. All right. Well, when it comes on the export front, there's a lot to be thankful for there, too. Stay with us because we're going to have a check of the weather next right here on U.S. Farm Report. U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by Tendovo Soybean Herbicide, raising the pre-emergence bar one clean row at a time. See how Tendovo delivers weed control without compromise at SyngentaUS.com backslash Tendovo. U.S. Farm Report weather is brought to you by H&S Manufacturing. The new 2200 and 3200 series action rakes feature a new design and user-friendly adjustments. 8, 10, and 12 wheel models are available. Learn more at the H&S website. Well, time now for a check of weather with meteorologist Matt Urasovic. Matt, we're showing gratitude this weekend, and while the weather did provide devastation and challenges in many areas of the country, we are thankful for those areas that finally did see a little moisture lately. So is more on the way. That's right, Tyne, and this week we're going to take a look at our winter forecast. We've got to take a look at the pattern as a whole expected as we head towards winter, but also the outlooks for seasonal precip and in the temperature department as well. So let's start with our pattern here, expecting a La Nina pattern to kind of stick around as we head at least through January, potentially slowly starting to weaken as we head into February and March. But the La Nina pattern is basically this, an area of cooler air here in the central Pacific. You can see Hawaii up here south of that and the flow goes back towards uh, the Philippines there. And then we've got some warmer waters here and warmer air that's going to be on the western side of that and on the northern side as well. So we move farther to the north and this is what we're going to be looking at. Two jet streams, the polar jet stream that starts to inject the colder air from the north and then the Pacific jet stream that brings in a lot of the moisture and a little bit of that warmer air, especially towards the west coast. High pressure though out off the Gulf of Alaska, that's going to allow the cold air to really set up in uh, at least the eastern part of Alaska and the western part of the United States. So that's the overall pattern in the Pacific, and this is how it affects us here in the United States. We've got the jet stream coming in from the Pacific Northwest, taking a little bit of a dip through the middle of the country. That's going to keep things colder and a little bit wetter or snowier if we get the right temperature set up here, especially for the Great Lakes and the Ohio Valley, even into portions of the Northeast. And then we're going to be looking at wet areas back in the Northwest. A 
along with higher elevation snow that's going to go on when this pattern does set up. Now, farther to the south, it's going to be much warmer, especially along the Gulf Coast, drier as well. Not as many chances for rain there, especially back in the Four Corners region. So that's something that we need to keep an eye on. But this is our winter forecast here with regards to temperatures below normal across the uh, north central part of the United States and back up into western Canada. Above normal temps though expected back in the southwest along the Gulf Coast and then all the way up the eastern seaboard there with normal right around normal there for the central plains. Then as we take a look at the precipitation again, this is December, January and February below normal along the Gulf Coast parts of Florida and all the way back into the southwest, especially those areas that we're seeing a real uh, drought continuing there back in the west. And then we look up to the Pacific Northwest and the northern Rockies, central plains. That's where we're going to be looking at above normal precipitation. And the same thing goes from really the mid-south through the Ohio Valley, the Great Lakes and Midwest and parts of the northeast. We'll continue to keep an eye on this as we head deeper into the winter season. Time? Thank you, Matt. Well, Mexico has been on a corn buying spree, but could the strong buys continue to close out 2022? Mike North and Chip Nellinger rejoin me this Thanksgiving weekend next. The NRCS Conservation Stewardship Program cost shares more than 150 practices on farms and ranches. Visit your local service center or farmers.gov today. Well, welcome back this Thanksgiving weekend. Chip Nellinger and Mike North rejoining us. All right, Mike, we talked a little bit about export demand, but when you look at exports, especially on the meat side, it's extremely impressive this year. Despite that strong U.S. dollar, we saw some record pace. We've seen Mexico come in and make some huge buys of U.S. corn. So on the export front, do you think we will finish out the year strong, but also that that will cont continue into Q1? Well, that's the hope, and it's hard to know exactly. Obviously, corn is not just a, you know, a, a simple transaction. There's a logistical component that we've struggled with, with river water levels, and uh, you know, with some moisture in the north, we're hoping that we can you know, float a few more boats down. The Ohio River has been maintaining uh, really strong capacities, as has the Illinois. It's that northern Mississippi uh, zone that really needs to be able to pick up the pace. Uh, but we need some water to do that. Um, to Chip's point earlier, I think, uh, you know, as we watch this last couple of months of the year, um, or month and a half as it is, we're going to have to really see an uptick there. Otherwise, we're going to, you know, have to drastically cut exports uh, as we go further in. Uh, we had the third lowest uh, week for this particular week of the year in the last 10 years uh, on corn exports. And when you start looking at you know, uh, performance like that, it really creates problems for us uh, trying to get that done. Chip, last year, it was kind of like fund managers. They had they made them the money that they wanted in the year. They kind of took a backseat, got out of the markets a little bit. Volume of trade was pretty low. Could we see a repeat of that to finish out the year? Or do you think we'll, we'll see something else happen in 2022 here? Well, I think that remains to be seen. I think the uh, the question in my mind is the outside markets. We've seen the dollar come off the highs. We've got a couple Federal Reserve uh, decisions on what they're going to do with interest rates coming up here. And so, I, you know, I think it's kind of a wild card out there. I, I really expect uh, to end the year and to start the new new year, there's going to be a, uh, a lot of fireworks out there. And it's a real wild card because these funds have proven 
they will go where the trends are. They'll take their money out of one market, move it over to the next without much of a, of a warning. Mike, do you agree with that? Is that something that you think could a Absolutely. Absolutely, Tyne. And, and we saw an example of this in June when the Fed first announced its more aggressive posture against uh, inflation. When they made that three-quarter point announcement, we gutted the grain markets. And um, if, if macro markets suggest that they need to leave, they will leave in haste and they will create waves. Chip, cash cattle, we've seen some really strong prices here in November. You know, as you look at, at kind of the herd size and the question mark of just how much contraction that we did see, is that something that you think the markets will continue to latch on to as we close out 2022? I do. I think the cattle market's really in, uh, on good footing in here. Uh, the numbers are coming down. We've seen two plus years of liquidation uh, of breeding stock and, and heifers. And so the problem going forward is uh, we might be seeing this uh, contraction in numbers headlong right into a recession, which could cut demand down a little bit. So that's going to be something that we need to watch the first half of uh, 2023. But I think the cattle market's on really solid footing now due to the liquidation of breeding stock and demand should hold together, uh, you know, barring some sort of a, of a massive, uh, you know, quick recession that's very deep and ugly, a la 2008. I think the cattle market's on really good footing for the first half of 2023. Chip, Mike, thank you. We are very thankful for your market insight and we appreciate you getting us prepared as we head into the holidays. All right, we need to take another break. And then John Phipps has a bit of what to be thankful for this year and just giving us some perspective this Thanksgiving Day weekend. That's next. U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by Pioneer. Pioneer combines leading edge R&D with rigorous local testing to create seed innovations proven to thrive in your fields. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Well, John will have his annual Harvest of Thanks message later in the show, but first he's providing a perspective of gratitude that could serve as a reminder to us all. I stumbled across this great graph from Farm Doc Daily recently. Uh, Gary Schnitke and his crew crank out these summaries for Illinois farmers with straightforward comments and explanations. But this particular edition deserves a Thanksgiving tie-in, I think. This graph and the associated numbers are specific to Illinois farmers but probably mirror similar trends for many grain producers all over the Midwest. As the graph shows, 2021 was a blowout year for this average 1,300-acre farm example. Those of us who thought 2012 was good times had to pick up our jaw when 2021 unfolded. Even more amazingly, the good times largely kept rolling through 22 with good yields and prices, factors that normally repel each other. Okay, the projection for 2023 is sobering, to say the least. But what interested me was my reaction to the 21 and 22 numbers. I immediately began reciting a series of yabbits. Yeah, 21 was a fantastic year, but then inputs and rents begin to take off, yada yada. Farmers tend to be sensitive to even clearer evidence they are doing well, even very well financially. Perhaps it's our lifelong embrace of victimhood, which has served us well when we go to Washington for money. 
Perhaps it's the gut-wrenching realization that our competition for acres has just ratcheted up a bunch. If a 1,300-acre farm is seeing profits like this, the guy with, say, 6,000 will be paying astronomical rents and purchase prices for land next to me or even under me. Despite the tiresome hysteria in ag media about foreign and outside land buyers, we know who is forking out 30k per acre. People who look like us. These two years will entice children back to farms too, adding more competitive pressure. So maybe we have a few reasons to be uncomfortable appearing successful. Veterans of farm booms also know how painful the downward adjustment can be. The estimates for next year certainly demonstrate that, and we certainly don't look forward to it. But all these mental denial gymnastics accomplish are to rob us of a chance to accept and express gratitude for prosperity, deserved or not. Civil War General Lew Wallace famously wrote, one is never so on trial as in the moment of excessive good fortune. One way to acquit ourselves with grace and to cherish this moment is to simply be grateful without reservations. Thank you, John. Great perspective this weekend. And remember, he will have his annual Harvest of Thanks special later on the show this weekend. Well, when we come back, the power of perseverance. It's a special Tractor Tales next. Closed captioning on U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by BASF. BASF, helping you to do the biggest job on earth. Well, we have a special Tractor Tales this weekend as we head to Illinois. It's not just any classic John Deere 730 that was restored. Owner Rob Albers realized it was too important to give up, so he bought it back and brought it home. That's the first tractor I got to drive. That's the first tractor I ran in the field. Um, I think the first time they sent me to the field was from right here on this spot on that tractor. So a lot of history there for me. Uh, when I took this farm over from my dad several years ago now, that tractor was still here. In fact, it hadn't been that long ago that my dad actually used that tractor to plant with. We made the decision together that that tractor was probably going to be in the way and it was time for it to, for it to go. So I listed it on eBay and a gentleman from California bought it. And he had a friend of his from Michigan, I think, come and pick it up. And uh, that guy took it and did somewhat of a restoration to the tractor. And the gentleman from California sent us photos back after the guy had worked it over a little bit. And, my dad looked at him and I looked at him and we both said, well, dang, <laughs> wish we hadn't done that. Uh, but several years passed and we went to the 50 years or the, the half century of progress show over in Rantoul. And during their parade, about the third uh, or fourth, 730 that passed me that day, I said to myself, I'm getting that tractor back if I can have it. And I'd stayed in touch with a guy in California and he, he was gracious enough to agree as soon as I called him. You bet you can have that tractor back. I know what it means to you. The idea that I might have let that tractor get away, <clears throat> you know, it only, it only really took a few years to, for it to sink in what I might have done there. So, yeah, it just meant the world for me, to me, for that guy to agree I could have it back. It's retired, lives a good life, lives under a cover in the nice garage, not out in the shed. 
Uh, when I took this farm over from my dad several years ago now, uh, that tractor was still here. In fact, it hadn't been that long ago that my dad actually used that tractor to plant with. Uh, all that tractor does now is tractor drives and a parade here and there. What a special tractor it is. Well, don't go anywhere because up next, Clinton Griffiths joins me as we head outside for our annual Harvest of Things. From honoring a legacy and a life in farming with the ultimate Harvest of Things to paying tribute to one man who revolutionized the industry as we know it today. We have that and a special message from John Phipps. All of that with our annual Harvest of Things special next. U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast. Hi, I'm Scott Kay, Vice President of Agriculture Solutions at BSF, joining you today from my family farm in Atlantic, Iowa. From the entire BSF team, I want to thank farmers and the agriculture communities who supported them throughout a challenging yet successful 22 season. The work you do every day makes it possible for us to have food on the table at Thanksgiving and every day of the year. You are truly doing the biggest job on earth. So from my family to yours, we wish you a happy and blessed holiday season and a prosperous new year. Hello, I'm Kurt Coffey with Case IH. This is a very special time of year, and for most of you, many of you, the hard work is done, and you're now reaping the rewards of a bountiful harvest. On behalf of myself and our entire Case IH family, thank you to all of you, our customers, farmers, partners, who work tirelessly to feed, to power, and to clothe the world. We gather now during Thanksgiving to celebrate the many blessings that we have been given. It's a time of gratitude and, frankly, togetherness. The fact is the future of agriculture is very bright because of your hard work, your dedication to this noble industry. And for that, I'm very thankful. We'll see you all out in the field. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Happy Thanksgiving. And I'm Tyne Morgan, and welcome to this year's Harvest of Thanks. Clinton, what a year it's been between rising prices for, well, everything, as well as higher commodity prices. There's also been drought, fires, and severe weather, but the great thing right now, many families are gathering together again as we put the pandemic behind us in the rear view and something well worth noting as we also celebrate the end of harvest. That's right, and a young farmer just rolled through his second harvest ever. And the way he got his 250 acre farm is quite the story. The roar of harvest, a satisfaction from another season. Okay, so we should be good. As brothers Grant and Spencer Hilbert bring in their second crop ever. I think we worked out all the kinks to where now corn, we're going smooth for the first 10 acres here, so. Soybeans, however, were a challenge on their small 250-acre farm located between Iowa City and Des Moines. We were averaging about five to six acres per breakdown, I'd say. A bumpy start for the first-generation operators. This harvest so far going a bit slower compared to last, but 
I think corn's a lot more enjoyable than beans do. It's a harsh reality for these experts in virtual reality. Okay, we should be good to fire up the separator. Playing a game called Farming Simulator, Grant is the man behind the mic of popular YouTube channel, The Squad. So in 2014, I started a YouTube channel with a buddy. Um, after 2,000 subscribers, I kind of took over the YouTube channel and we were playing Farming Simulator. Today, it boasts more than 1.3 million subscribers. In the evenings uh, during college, I was just, uh, every night I was making a video. And so my goal was every single day for the next four years to make a video. And so. Success from a video game, simulating farming, while memories from his childhood, riding in the combine with extended family, pulled at his future. Our parents didn't farm. It was our, our grandparents and aunts and uncles, distant family, so. In 2020 and 2021, Grant pushed all in, taking his YouTube profits and other investments and rolling $1.8 million into physical assets. He bought an Iowa farm. We ran a couple errands and uh, went to the FSA office and got to do all that fun paperwork. It's a new adventure. Right now, we're hobby farmers kind of out here on week. We, I call it weekend warrior farmers. And a new YouTube page. Stuff. And so that's what I try to do with YouTube is is, is, is document the journey, like the real life journey of certain farming. As he and his brother trade simulated harvest for the real thing. Now when we play the game, it's like, hey, we've done this. We've done, you know, we're, we were just kids in our parents' basement playing video games. And now it's like, you really just appreciate it a lot more in real life. While they're still playing Farming Simulator, Grant has a company planning to release its own simulator game called American Farming, built to look like a typical Midwest farm. So this is kind of vacation, but if I could do this full time someday, it doesn't have to be a crazy amount of acres, but just physically working out here, you know, spending a lot more time working out here, that, that, that's the dream and that's the goal. As he shares every step, perfect or not, with the world. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with it. My dream ever since a kid was to be a full-time farmer. This is, this is vacation, this is, this is literally what I love, a physical farm. Still ahead, bringing in the harvest can be challenging on a good day. But Clinton, when you're doing it without the backbone of your family, what do you do? One family didn't need to worry because they coped with a sudden loss with their community as they didn't miss a beat. That's next as our Harvest of Thanks continues. Harvest of Thanks is brought to you by Case IH. Case IH equipment is designed, engineered, and built by farmers. See their stories at BuiltByFarmers.com and by BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. Well, rural America is painted with community after community that shows resilience in times of need. And in Creston, Iowa, that was on full display only a few weeks ago after the sudden loss of a farmer, father, husband, and friend, an able leader whose selfless service made him a staple in the community. And the loss put that community in motion to orchestrate a true harvest of thanks. Paul Baker was a man of faith. My mom and my sister and I spent five days with him in the hospital. And he shared with us he'd only missed mass twice. He missed mass that Sunday. He made us go. A devout Catholic, his faith flourished. Even on days, his health was slowly fading away. He's just a tough, tough old farmer. 
So I truly believe he waited as long as he possibly could because he's so tough. It all started last December. What the family thought was long haulers from COVID just wouldn't go away. He finally got over part of it, and but it just never um, was a full recovery. What they didn't know until just five days before Paul passed, it was something much more severe. I think the diagnosis came through on a Tuesday and he passed away that Thursday. A man who had never smoked a day in his life had lymphoma that had turned into lung cancer. And I know he didn't want to be in the hospital, and this is why we think it was so quick. We think he just waited till he couldn't. Looking back, his daughters say they now see signs that their dad knew his health would be tested this year. He didn't buy cattle this year. There were just some things he seemed to kind of know, and he would never want to burden us with any of that. A man who always put others before himself was a sudden and deep loss, not only for the family, but the entire community of Creston, Iowa. There's other people in the community knew something was going on. I had a neighbor show up, said, I'm going to run some of your beans. Thank God he did. I got to spend Wednesday out the hospital. With corn still left in the field, the community didn't skip a beat, orchestrating a beautiful final harvest for a man who lived a life of integrity. It was a, a great effort from the community. We had people from 20 miles away. Um, Paul is very respected. Uh, there's a lot of people who came. A week after Paul passed, nearly 25 combines and 38 trucks came together for this a harvest of 600 acres in only four hours. Everything works like clockwork. There were captains and every there's like five teams. And so it's quite it was quite organized. It was it was very overwhelming. Our family is eternally grateful um, for what you did. And dad, he's just up there shaking his head that whole day. We thought like just in disbelief because he was a very humble person as well. I would like to say thank you. And people have come up to me after this has been all over and said, were you surprised? And I said, no, <laughs> the kids were little. We would go somewhere when we come home. <laughs> um, he would say, I'm going to take you to the best place on earth. And we would they'd get all excited like Disney World or something. And we would drive back into the driveway. And he said, here we are. And it's true. I just want to thank everyone for everything they did. Paul Baker's memory will live on through acts of kindness throughout Creston, Iowa. A community that truly cares, showing so with the ultimate harvest of thanks. Well, they pour over news reports, charts, facts, figures, and crunch numbers every day when the markets are open. But they're as comfortable in the office as they are in the combine. Meet one market analyst with a double duty next. It's easy to get caught up in the hustle and bustle of the day-to-day -day commodity markets, but for some advisors, life beyond the terminal helps to color their view of the trade. Michelle Rook joins us. And Michelle, now you went from the office to the field with two noted market analysts. That's right, Clinton. And of course, most farmers, it's their favorite time of the year, harvest, because they get to see the results of their hard work. However, for some, marketing that crop can be a daunting task, especially with all the volatility and uncertainty of the current market environment. Nobody knows that better than two farmers turned market advisors. Matt Bennett always knew he wanted to farm, but while attending the University of Illinois, a professor helped him discover he had another calling. 
he told me all along that you really need to be doing something involved with the markets. You've got a good general knowledge of it and, and you talk it well. And So he started speaking and doing market interviews, which grew into a brokerage business. Today he's co-owner of agmarket.net and says wearing both hats gives him a unique perspective. Whenever you're actively involved in farming, you understand that, you know, typically we're not real cash heavy folks, you know, asset rich, cash poor is, is the adage. And that is the truth. And, and it definitely changes your perception of what you need to be doing from a marketing standpoint, uh, how to protect yourself, how to manage risk. And it certainly has served me well in my career to approach things from a, hey, let's defend our profit margins. Bennett realizes marketing is hard because it's emotional, so knowing your cost of production is key. we got to know our finances like the back of our hand and then approach our marketing like we're a business because we are a business. And Bennett is transparent about what he's doing for marketing on his own farm and doesn't recommend a strategy he wouldn't use himself. The same is true for Indiana farmer Chuck Shelby, who owns Risk Management Commodities. What we tell our clients to do is what uh, I do on our farm, my son does, so uh, if it's right, it's good for me. If it's wrong, it's also bad for me and my son. Shelby says the markets have changed substantially since he started in the business, especially the volatility and the factors that influence the market beyond fundamentals. In the last uh, several years, though, there's been so many outside factors. Uh, you've got a war going on, you've got inflation, you've got a dollar is changing value, you've got so many things that impact us. We've got a lot of components that move markets pretty significantly and, and that makes it even more challenging to figure out what's the right answer. And he understands the influence the fund and algorithm traders have on the commodity markets can be discouraging for farmers. It's, it is part of the world today that we farmers have to market in and again they can be good for us. Funds have made markets go higher than they should. Uh, we get frustrated as farmers when they make it go down but uh, Overall, the money flow into the markets and the outside factors are generally a positive. Both Bennett and Shelby say if they had to pick one profession, farming would always win. But they're thankful to get to combine their two passions to help others in agriculture. All right, thanks, Michelle. Well, coming up, an agronomist who made a difference around the world, helping save millions of lives from starvation. It's a story that all started on a farm. Andrew McRae brings it to us from the American countryside next. Welcome back. Well, Norman Borlaug was one of the key figures in the Green Revolution who helped farmers grow more and better crops around the world. His work led him to receive the Nobel Peace Prize for the lives he helped save through food and nutrition. He was able to put food on the table for those who may have had to go without any food at all. Andrew McRae takes us to the farm where the story began. South of Cresco, Iowa, you will find a small farmstead with quite a story. By the time that they uh, came to live in this house, which was 1922, um, uh, Norm was about eight years old or so, and they had just bought the, the farm a, a year or two before that. Uh, it was 56 acres. And it later grew to just over 100 acres in size. Tom Spindler is speaking of young Norman Borlaug from the family's farm south of Cresco, Iowa. And I remember Charlotte, uh, his younger sister, said that the family always felt, uh, even when he was a teenage boy, that this guy had something in him that was something special. The family drove Norman 14 miles into Cresco, where he would board for the week, then come home on the weekends to help on the family's farm. Norman's agriculture teacher and his wrestling coach encouraged him to go to college. 
His grandfather, Nels, helped make that happen. As Norm decided to go to the University of Minnesota, as he gave him 11 silver dollars and he said to Norm, he says, Norm boy, you take this, you can pay your tuition with it for the first, the first quarter. And he says, feed your head now so you can feed your belly later. Norman would go on to feed much more than his own belly. Borlaug helped develop wheat varieties in Mexico and later in Pakistan, India, and other locations that helped feed and save the lives of millions of people. His work led many to call him the father of the Green Revolution. Today, the farm where Borlaug was raised continues his mission. We do lots of educational programming here, uh, and so we have area fifth graders from uh, probably a dozen different schools. Borlaug's work was recognized by many around the world. Notably, he won the 1970 Nobel Peace Prize and later the Presidential Medal of Freedom, among many awards in his lifetime. But as Spindler shares, Borlaug was always a teacher at heart, a mission they carry on today, and a story that shows the impact one farm boy can have on the world. And look at what he did in his lifetime from being just a farm kid um, that is feeding his horses and the cows and the chickens and farming that land with horses out there. And look what he did in his lifetime. He turns around and, and uh, is credited with saving hundreds of millions of lives. Norman Borlaug's early years here on the farm truly influenced his life forever. They were lessons that he carried with him to impact the lives of literally millions of people around the globe. And it's an educational focus that continues on his farm yet today. With Harvest of Thanks, near Cresco, Iowa, I'm Andrew McCray. Thanks, Andrew. Coming up, John Phipps serves up a plate of Thanksgiving wisdom. That's about much more than the weather next. U.S. Farm Report is sponsored by the National Pork Board. National Pork Board is getting the word out about real pork with a myth-busting campaign that shows consumers the story of real pork on the farm. Visit pork.org slash we care to learn more. Well, John Phipps is thankful for getting his commentary done early this year. And so am I. And he's talking about so much more than just the weather this Thanksgiving weekend. Each year, Tyne reminds me about my Harvest of Thanks commentary. Now, the video guys love gorgeous fall foliage and blue skies, but timing that can be tricky. Our trees are bare by Thanksgiving normally, except for one old oak tree, which apparently has trouble saying goodbye. I'm recording this earlier than normal. And November can have many days like this one. There are upsides for me, though, by being this early. I don't have to shoot with the sun in my eyes. And wearing good clothes on a dreary day just wouldn't fit. Above all, getting my work in early might make Tyne's Thanksgiving a little more stress-free. Another familiar commentary element is harvest on our farm, which, as you can see, isn't done for two reasons the early shoot, and the fact that this harvest is one of the many things we are particularly thankful for. Both the corn and bean crops were happy surprises, but how you can get that much corn off of a five-inch ear still baffles me. Our elevators are clogged, trades are hard to schedule, and bins are rapidly filling. Then you have days like this. November's famous for them, but Thanksgiving shouldn't be a weather-dependent celebration. Gratitude doesn't watch the six to 10 day forecast. Half late my age, it gets easier to ignore what's going on outside while practicing the skill of thankfulness. If I can still participate in harvest at all, for instance, that's a blessing. 
Even the monotony of fill the truck, empty truck, fill the truck is a rhythmic joy that triggers wonderful memories of autumn's past. I always think of my father at harvest, for instance. When the trucks work, when the corn is dry, the wind's not blowing bees' wings in your face, when your water bottle doesn't drip on your sandwich, when you don't meet too many grain carts on the way to the elevator loaded, when familiar old aches give you a day off, when this year's losses and griefs abide a little easier, when a neighbor or dealer goes an extra mile to help you recover from a breakdown, when once a year Thanksgiving hymns are sung with your friends. None of these gifts depend on brilliant blue skies or trees splashed with vibrant colors. Thanksgiving lifts us above dreary days to help us savor what we have and what we anticipate. Whatever you see outside your window, I hope this holiday creates a little sunshine inside your heart and may gratitude for overlooked blessings this year fill your thoughts. And we want to thank all of you for bringing in another harvest this year. And for all you do to help make this day and this year one in which we are truly thankful. Happy Thanksgiving from all of us at Farm Journal.